Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Cannon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Cannon, SB Nation's blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets took Game 2 from the Boston Bruins on the road and head back to Nationwide Arena with a chance to take a lead in the series. We'll talk about the first two games of the Eastern Conference semifinal, who played well, who didn't, and what we expect from the next two games at home. We'll also talk about the Cleveland Monsters as they prepare to take on the Toronto Marlies in Round 2 of the Calder Cup playoffs. I'm Ryan Real. Joining us for this episode, we've got Elaine Shercliffe. Hi, Elaine. Hi, Ryan. And we've got Eric Seeds. Seeds, how are you doing? Doing well, Ryan. How are you tonight? Good. Good, Elaine. How are you? I'm sorry. I didn't want just to be asking Seeds that. <laughs> oh, I'm fantastic. Well rested, finally. <laughs> right. Yeah. Both of your hockey teams have caught a break now. It is Heading into Game 3 against Boston, the series is tied 1-1 to after a couple of overtime games. How are we feeling, everybody? Honestly, like we should be up to nothing. I know that sounds wild to say, but we kind of let Game 1 slip away, and we played not well to start that game. Granted, I didn't see it live. I was in Avengers Endgame, but I went back and rewatched most of the game, and the Jackets started out really slow, but they took control there in the second period and played well in the third. They played well enough to win, and Sergei Bobrovsky certainly so. Um, he's been a monster in this yeah. series. I I think that I'm fairly confident in the Jackets. I picked them in six before the uh, before the series started. I don't really see any reason to deviate from that pick. They they look pretty good. They're they're stand, they're hanging in there with one of the best teams in the NHL this season. Yeah, I'm feeling really good, actually. I um, I saw a lot of good things out of a lot of people. I think we're doing a good job of actually getting under the skin of the Bruins. I don't think I've seen the Bruins this frustrated in a long time. So that's kind of exciting to see because um, that means they're going to start making – mistakes here soon and getting wore out um they just came off a seven game series and they looked visibly tired at the end of the second overtime so 
Like the the if the Jackets can continue to play this heavy game, yeah, I agree with you, Elaine. They're gonna start making mistakes and uh or the Bruins will start making mistakes and the Jackets should hopefully be able to take advantage of that. What I love to do, and this is like not a great thing about me, but I love Schadenfreude and so I love to look at other fan bases, Twitters and and blogs, and I love to look at the comments under YouTube videos, uh, just specifically for that, not other stuff. Because I love when a team I don't like loses, and I like to watch all the fans react. And I will say, Boston fans, almost to a T, have said the Bruins should be up 2-0, and all of the Jackets' goals have come directly from Bruin mistakes, whether that's a turnover, a dumb penalty, sloppy play in their own zone. I can totally see that being something that you would cling to. Is that real? I don't necessarily think so. If you look at the advanced stats, if you look at the Jackets expected goals and the Jackets high dangerous scoring chances, at least from game two, which to me, game two felt like the Jackets were kind of hanging on by the skin of their teeth. And actually the underlying numbers didn't really bear that out. The Jackets had control uh, for a good portion of that game. That said, you know, you can say the turnovers are something that are caused by the Jackets and the way the Jackets forecheck and the way they get into the zone. So you can't just say the turnovers happen in a vacuum. But I don't, all this to say, I don't really feel like great about the way things are i'm happy don't get me wrong one one and i I mean certainly overtime in game one the series could go either way i i am just i feel almost too keenly aware of how thin this rager this razor edge margin for error is but i guess that's playoff hockey and the fact that the jackets are in it i keep coming back to what tortorella said at the end of the season and i mean the mindset speech certainly but the finding a way, I think we said that before the playoffs started in the playoff preview, that this group finds a way. And they really do. We talked about it in game or series one where, you know, we were sure Tampa was going to score on this. And then it was 3-3 in game four. And the Jackets are going to fold. And the old Jackets are going to come back. And they don't. And they haven't. And it's gone into this series. And I think part of me in the way that the Jackets fan mindset works is that the roof is going to cave in. The, the other shoe is going to drop. And it doesn't. And they keep winning. I was sure... Part of me, at least, was, was oh, they're not going to score on this power play. The Bruins are going to get a huge kill in double overtime. They're going to come back and figure it out. And they scored. And they looked really, really good doing it. That power play, I watched that, that final power play uh, maybe a dozen times. And the puck never leaves the zone from, from the opening faceoff win from Duchesne. The puck never leaves the zone. I mean, Panarin's doing work. Seth is back there getting keeps. I, I guess I'm still just kind of reeling at where the hell this team came from. So all that to say, it's 1-1. I'm thrilled that it's going back to Nationwide with the Jackets taking a game on the road. I'm so happy for this team. I, 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 still, I still cannot fully trust it, I, I feel like, but I'm loving it. That's where I am. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying, um, Ryan. Especially, there were, there were seconds in, that, in the first overtime where like, when Brad Marchand had that, had that golden opportunity in front of Sergei Bobrovsky, I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is this is where this this game ends, and we're going home down 0-2. Yep. But I think I think what's kind of lost in that is minutes earlier, Nick Foligno probably should have won that hockey game. He had a he had that great breakaway chance that, against Tuka Rask, and Rask made an amazing glove save to keep Boston in that game. But I I I I'm kind of like you in that I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, but. The way I see some of these guys playing, you mentioned, you know, Panarin playing well and Deshane playing well, but my 
God, Seth Jones might be the best player. Oof, the, he might be the best player left in this in this postseason right now. He is controlling every every inch of the ice when he is on the when he is out there. It is amazing to see. And if he's not a Norris front runner heading into next season on the heels of this postseason run, there, there's got to be something said about the uh, Pro Hockey Writers Association because Seth Jones is <laughs> a monster. I do love the way Seth took accountability after game one um, when he said that it was just a normal play that he would normally do and he didn't execute it right. and He felt like that's why they lost. I don't think that's why they lost, but I like that he took some form of accountability to say he wasn't playing his best at that moment. When he played an incredible game, all of game one, to me, that like spoke volumes. Future captain material right there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think everybody did kind of put it on Wierenski. I mean, I kind of mentioned it in the recap. It certainly looked like his fault. And and for Seth to step up and put throw himself under the bus when, like you said, he's playing out of his mind. That was that was really cool. And to go back to the Jackets fatalism. When Bob had to make that save on Grizzlick's dump in, that would have been oh so, my lord! That would have been a moment where you're like, "That's that's peak jackets right there." That's how they lose game two in overtime. That makes all the sense in the world, and they didn't. This is like an alternate timeline where the jackets are suddenly doing everything right, and the power play is clicking, and Bob's playing well in the playoffs. And I don't know what kind of Doctor Strange stuff's going on that that we're here in this one now, but I will take it. It's that one of 14 million timelines, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's go ahead and talk about the end of Avengers. I'm kidding. No, please don't. Do <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> it's all right, Aline. I've seen it enough for both of us. <laughs> I, I, I went to go see it on Sunday, but when I woke up Sunday morning, I was like, I'm fine. Then I stood up and I was like, nope, back to, back to bed. <laughs> Double overtime will do that. So heading into game two, there was uh, a lot of consternation among Blue Jackets fans about the replacement for Ryan Dezingle in Alexander Winberg. And I personally thought a lot of it was overblown heading into the game. But what did you guys think of of Winberg's play in game two? Well, as the resident Winberg hater on the blog, um, it's going to kill me to give him props here, but I kind of have to. I thought Winberg played extremely well in game two. He was exceedingly valuable on the penalty kill. Were there moments where he had offensive opportunities and should have shot the puck? Yes, I absolutely can think of a couple opportunities where he was not the offensive player Ryan Dezingle would have been in that situation. But Winberg's ability to fill in on the penalty kill and play key defensive minutes really were invaluable in that game. I don't know if I want to see him more in this series. I guess I just want to, I guess it just depends on how the series goes, but in game two, when the Jacks needed to shut it down, I thought Winberg played exceedingly well, much to my own surprise. Yeah. I, I think the, the penalty killing really stood out to me, particularly there were times when they would try, you know, D to D passes and he was right there to knock it out of the zone. I think he did that a couple times agreed on the offense. And and that is also something that's worrying me a little bit is, is the kind of the jackets are getting the chances. They're not really putting them away, but they're putting them away enough. And I'm, you know what? I think Boston fans feel the exact same way because you mentioned Marshawn's play. Bergeron had some opportunities. So, but Winberg 
the way this series has gone and, and how tight the checking is and how much stick checking in the neutral zone has played a major role in the Jackets' success, I, I think Winberg did Yeoman's work on uh, on Saturday night. So, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the series, but it's it's I will say it's nice to have a guy like Alexander Winberg to come in as a healthy scratch. You know what I mean? Like, even if, you know, we all, right, we're right. all aware of the problems with Alexander Winberg, but but to have that kind of depth where you you can bring him in for, you know, Ryan Dezingle, who who has struggled, you know, point-wise this, this postseason, that's pretty neat. Yeah, it is nice to have the depth for once in defense and forward. Even in goalie, we have a really deep goalie pool right now, too. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever seen the Jackets have all three areas covered where if someone is injured. I'm like, okay, we'll probably be fine. Um, maybe not so much in the goaltender area because I don't know with the way Bob's playing. He's so hot right now that if he got hurt, I think I would probably curl up in a ball and cry. <laughs> but. Other than that, it's it's incredible to look at the roster and go, yeah, that's doable. That's yeah, we can do that. It it's great to have options, and that gives guys fresh legs if they need to mix it up. And that also puts a wrench in the other teams, um, the way they approach the game, because they're expecting those same players all the time. And if we start throwing guys in like Wenberg. And anyone else that hasn't been playing, they're going to have to adjust their game and they might not be able to do that on the fly. I thought about Marcus Hanekinen today for the first time in maybe weeks. I was like, oh yeah, Marcus Hanekinen. Not that you necessarily want him in game three of the Eastern Conference semifinal, but the fact that he's there. And, and Elaine, you mentioned all three phases. That's exactly right, especially when it comes to the defense, because the Jackets are playing with what, seven, eight, nine defensemen right now? I mean, the seventh, eighth, and ninth defensemen, I think. Um, without Marcus Nudavara, and they have Vladislav Gavrikov, who we still a wild card in every sense of the word. The defense also is is nice to see. Also, Ryan Murray, you know, he's probably not going to play. Let's let's be real. I mean, he's skating. Who knows whether you want to throw him in? But the fact is that you know there are uh, some pretty decent defensemen getting healthy and, and ready to come in. Right. Yeah. Uh, Nudavara has skated twice in the last couple of days. I wouldn't be stunned if we saw him in this series at some point. Um, I don't know about Vladislav Gavrikov, um, but he's, he was paired with Nudavara in practice on Monday. So it's possible we see him in this series. Well, yeah, we have actual depth for the first time in probably organizational history. And it's really kind of nice. Yeah. And, and we're missing Adam McQuaid too, after the dirty hit he took, he's That's yeah, right. he's still out. We we've got, options and boy wouldn't it be nice to have an adam McQuaid in a series like this for once i'm not worried about the depth it's more just execution at this point this this the team has the the team has the bodies and the talent to skate with anyone and play any style it's just can they do it and shouts to adam clendenning coming in and um holding up the fort back there he's right. so great isn't he i just i love watching <laughs> him play I'm really glad he is playing because if he wasn't and he was sitting up there, we know I would not be happy. <laughs> no, we would hear about it. Yeah. yeah. For sure. <laughs> well, and then that brings me to the other uh, point, which, you know, maybe it's not a big deal at all, but the 
decreased playing time for Alexander Texier in game two. Um, he made a couple of, of mistakes and we didn't see him for the rest of the, of the time, which again speaks to the depth, which maybe, you know, who knows what's going to happen. It might, game three might be like nothing was wrong and he's right back in there playing his normal minutes. Or we might get your Marcus Hanakainen. <laughs> right. Um, who knows? But the fact is that, yeah, the Jackets, in, pre- in years previous, if somebody had done that, I mean, who's, who's slotting in there? Nobody. Nobody who can, you know, reasonably be expected to match that production or even come close. So, I, again, this is just, this is uncharted territory. It's very fun. Coming back to Columbus for games three and four, what do, what, what do y'all expect for the next couple of games? Well, I expect the building to be louder than it's, than it was even in the first round. Uh, shouts to Brandon Dubinsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing but respect for, <laughs> nothing but respect for my president who has, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think, I think the fans are going to be engaged. I think the team is going to feed off that energy. And when the Jackets, beat Tampa in games three and four home. The key was a fast start. The Jackets got out on the front foot, scored early goals in both games. Did they, did they let the opponents back into it? Yeah, but they, they, they never like got down on it, didn't dwell on it. They, they looked for that immediate response, and that's kind of what I'm hoping for as they come home here and for, this, for, this str- for the games three and four. I'm looking for the Jackets to just you know, stay on that front foot, feed on the crowd energy, give them a reason to cheer, and Lord willing hold serve on home ice and take a three games to one lead back to Boston for game five. Yeah. I think if they just keep getting under Boston's skin, they'll be great. Um, I think cam is doing a really good job of getting under Martian skin, which is crazy because cam doesn't strike me as that kind of, um, agitator. That's normally like Anderson or Boone's job. So it's nice to see the whole team. Riding the agitator bus. I think it'll be interesting at home <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, that's a really good point, Elaine. In game one, you know, Marshawn stepped on Atkinson's stick and there was a lot made of that in the day between. You know, Atkinson was cracking jokes and, you know, Marshawn was going back and forth. And I think some people were worried that that was going to, you know, it was a sign that Marshawn was in the jacket's head and was in Cam's head. and None of that really carried over in game two that we saw at least in in terms of discipline in terms of dumb penalties or retaliatory action or anything like that it it is nice to see the jack is doing it for once i think we all expected it from josh anderson but again yeah not not cam necessarily i i'm looking forward to the building i have tickets for game six so i i would love for the series not to go six games uh, apologies to my friends who are coming with me, but I would love to the Jackets to wrap this up on Saturday. But this, the more people that are able to see the Jackets at home in these playoffs, I think is better for the city. I mean, if you got, I saw comments from it was people's first first game ever, you know, either game three or four. And the more people from Columbus who are able to see what a playoff atmosphere is like, to see this crowd and this specific team the better off the team's going to be, the better off the city's going to be, I think. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for game three and four. I love Doobie. I'm going to talk about it later, but I love Doobie's little jab, um, all of his little jabs. I can't believe they're playing second round games at home. I guess that's what, I guess that's where my brain is. So today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. That's that's the next couple of days. There's game five on Saturday. But before that, before game five on Saturday, game one on Wednesday of Toronto and Cleveland. Elaine, last week, they had not wrapped it up when we released this podcast, but they, they gave the crunch a game. That was nice of them. And then they took care of business. And now they face the Marlies in round two. Yeah. I think I should never talk positive about the monsters because every time I'm a doubter or I talk <laughs> down about a player, they do really well because I said Liam Foodie was just all right and and that he was not ready for the AHL playoffs. And then he goes and scores two goals in that 3-0 win. <laughs> right. Oh. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. This kid. It, and he's he is really good. He definitely proved that. Mm. <laughs> so how was Toronto during the season? What's what's the series looking like? The Monsters play Oh, this is so awful. It's gonna be The Monsters ruined their banner raising at the beginning of the season. And hockey players never forget. Mm-hmm. When they're off okay. the mm-hmm. when when they're off the ice, they're very forgiving. Um, but once they hit on the ice, they're like, oh, remember that time when we were eight years old and you tripped me on the ice? I'm going to slam you into the boards now that we're 26. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't foresee the Marlies um, forgetting that and the fact that mm-hmm. they ruined this monumental night for them. I think that's something that's going to drive them to just just try to destroy us. And I'm actually a little worried about that because um, revenge is a great motivator. Right. Who were you really impressed with besides, you know, foodie in, in, in that last game in game five? Because like I mentioned, I like to go to opponents blogs and, and read what happened. And they were, uh, they were very impressed with Brad Thiessen. Oh, Brad. Brad is amazing. Um, He's also the goalie coach right now. So he is pulling, yeah, he's pulling double duty. I always thought of Brad as a true backup goaltender. We never really had a chance to see him in this full-time role. And since Baruby got injured in, it was like mid-March, Thiessen has just been on a roll. He has been unstoppable. Mm -hmm. He is on fire. The some of the saves he made are like what Fabrowski did in game two. Uh mm. on yeah, on Saturday night. They were he's just been so phenomenal. And when he gets scored on, he's not pouty about it. He's been talking with the refs a lot more. The crunch were purposely knocking his net off the moorings. And he straight up just looked at the refs and started chatting with them and I haven't seen that out of Tyson in a while. And so that just proves that he is, he is laser focused. He's in it 
to win it. And sometimes mm -hmm. he has to carry the team on his back. <laughs> but that was not the case on Thursday. Because Sonny Milano also was setting up plays. He, I don't, I said it last week too. I'm just so impressed with him right now. I can't say enough mm -hmm. about him because he, he set up Booty for that pass. He set up another play. He was like the fourth person. He like started the play. If you give out like four, third and fourth assists, he would have been the fourth assist. He just is seeing the ice from a whole new angle. And it is the Sonny Milano that we all wanted when he was drafted. And we're now getting it. Yeah. And at the right time in the color cup playoffs, helping the team advance. And Elaine, I uh, prayers up for you because the game's Wednesday, Friday, and you can watch on Fox Sports Ohio. Yeah. So Jackets fans can watch their organization play um, five straight nights. Right. <laughs> so my thoughts are with you. Right. It's kind of, it's crazy to me because I've always, I've grown up wanting to cover Cleveland sports. Even when I was living in Chicago, I wanted to cover a successful Cleveland sports team. And here I am is the Cleveland team, second round of the playoffs, doing well. And I'm just trying to soak it all in. It's very surreal and it's very exciting. And if they can get <laughs> their special teams going, they will be a force to be reckoned with. I was, I was looking at the stats. I wanted to see how far apart they were from the Marlies. And our power play for the playoffs is 6.7%. Well, the Marlies is, no, not ideal. And the Marlies power play is 25%, which is about average for everyone else in the league. And then yeah. our penalty kill is 71.4%, which doesn't seem that bad. But most of the teams that are still in the playoffs are like 85% and up. So mm -hmm. they can get that under wraps. I think that they'll be good. But like I said, it'll be really interesting with Toronto and seeing how they handle handle each other. Right. Well, can't wait to follow along. Can't wait to read your stuff on jacketscanon.com. Go Monsters. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the Monsters and Marley series. Game one is on Wednesday. And for as far as the eye can see, it's Jackets Monsters Hockey for the next week, foreseeably. So pretty cool stuff. Game three against Boston is uh, Tuesday. If you're, if you're listening to this podcast, it is probably Tuesday, and game three is tonight for you. They had an extra day of rest, and one thing that was really interesting for me is after game two, they interviewed Matt Deshane, and he said it was not a fun game to play in. There's not a lot of room. There's a lot of hits. So I've been thinking about that over the past you know, day or two, and this series is really taking a toll on these guys. And heading into that, everybody said that it would favor the Jackets, who played you know, three fewer games. But uh, you know, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I'm not so sure either. These guys are, these guys are wailing on each other pretty good. Um, the teams combined for 39 hits in the first period of Game 2 including Zdeno Chara absolutely leveling Riley Nash yeah. with it like 10 seconds gone off the clock. 
Oliver Bjorkstrand had his bucket knocked off. Pierre-Luc Dubois was missing his helmet a couple different times. I mean, this is a, this is a hard-fought series, and both teams have to be wearing or fighting through some injuries right now. Do the Jackets have a little bit of an edge because of the rest? Maybe, but I, I don't know if that's going to matter at this point. They're both just hitting each other every opportunity they get. They get. The Jackets, to their credit, kind of shied away from that in the second and third period when they when I thought they kind of got back to you know using their speed through the neutral zone. But yeah, I can see why Matt Duchesne says this is not a fun series to play in because I can't imagine I want to be out there in the middle of the ice looking to score goals when someone like Chara or Brad Marchand or Patrice Bergeron is going to come through and catch you with a shoulder at any given moment and you know knock you into the boards. Uh, whoever comes out of the series is going to really need to really going to need a breather in advance of the Eastern Conference Finals, be it the Jackets or the Bruins. This this series to me is like an old fashioned just slugfest. This is like it's not, you know, like the dead puck era, the neutrals and trap. This is just old time slug it out. We're going to it's not, you know, the Broad Street bullies where they're fighting every five minutes, but it's just right. It's an old fashioned slugfest. Yeah, I don't think that either team was prepared for the level of drama that the other team was going to bring to them. Like, <laughs> I don't think I know the Bruins are always prepared to bring the drama, but I don't think they were prepared for the Jackets to throw it right back at them. So I think mentally and physically, they're like, oh, my God, what what's happening? Why is this little guy? slamming into me <laughs> like they're they're not they're not used to it i think that's what's kind of great about the blue jackets lineup is we saw them play that that's that high that highly technical skilled game in the first series against tampa bay and they're not afraid to you know throw the body and get down to work here in the boston series that's kind of the makeup of a team that makes runs in the stanley cup playoffs. you need to be able to play all styles and the jackets are showing that they're not only able to do it, but absolutely willing to do it. That that that's really that's a really good prospect for this team going forward. Totally, totally, and and you've seen it in the first couple of games. I, I think that's why everybody wanted Toronto. At least seventy five percent of our readers wanted Toronto because I think that the idea was, you know, they wouldn't match up as physically with the Jackets. They would certainly bring their own drama. That's for sure. Good lord, but <laughs> maybe not as as physical as the Bruins. So. Wearing them down, uh, it'll be interesting to see after this day of rest because the the Bruins, I mean, even heading into the playoffs, uh, had quite a bear of a schedule down the stretch. So it is their first day off where they don't have a game the next day in a, in a very long time. So it'll be fun for game three. It'll be it'll be loud. We know that. Heading into the end of our episode, guys, uh, does anybody have any final thoughts? Just keep playing your game. Don't Don't fall for the antics of... Uh, the Boston Bruins don't don't sink to their level when guys like Brad Marchand are stomping on sticks and you know throwing uh, guys are throwing questionable hits. The Jackets have done a great job this entire postseason of rising above and letting their play dictate their response. And I just want to see the Jackets continue to do that and hold serve on home ice. And if they continue to play their game, Bob plays Bob plays well, and the Jackets can stay out of the penalty box please stay out of the penalty box. They should be able to take both games here in Nationwide Arena. It'd be great if they, it'd be great for the fans if they did it. So here's hoping. I really hope that the overtime does not equal what game we're in 
because game one went to one overtime, game two went to <laughs> double overtime. I think we could have. Oh lord! I think we could handle a triple overtime, but I don't think we can handle a quadruple and beyond. <laughs> um, I I still think it's going to go to game seven, only because both teams keep making minor mistakes, and unless one team starts playing a crisp, clean game of fundamentally. I think we're going to see more very close games and it's going to be a longer series, but I think we'll win. Amen. From your lips to his ears. You were talking about the physicality, both of you, about the physicality of the series. I've been really happy for a lot of guys on this team, but Brandon Dubinsky, seeing him emerge as this playoff stalwart in the past couple of years, it definitely feels like the game has maybe begun to pass him by as he struggles through injuries and, you know, the natural decline of, of skills on the wrong side of 30. But seeing him score a goal in game one and then kind of embrace the heel role after game two, he's cutting wrestling promos, you know, after talking about the, the, the loudness of Nationwide and then wearing a Milwaukee Bucks hat after practice on, on Monday. Just kind of doing all these things that, you know, he is, he is in his element. This is what he lives for, this kind of physical, dirty, nasty hockey. And it is so good to see him thrive in that environment for the Blue Jackets at his age in 2019 and also do well. I mean, his defensive zone usage, you know, you can tell towards heavily relies on him for better or worse, but it's worked out so far in the, in the defensive zone. And just seeing him kind of blossom from, you know, maybe last year, I mean, even this summer, you know, he's always the first candidate for a buyout, right? But to see him play this role as, as a longtime Dubinsky stan, I, I love it. I'm so happy for him. I hope he keeps it going just like the rest of them. But, but that's, I've been picking out certain guys as I kind of try and enjoy this run. Like, you know, I talked about Duchesne a couple weeks ago and, and Cam and the guys who've been here forever. But just seeing it for Dubinsky after game two, that was, that was really cool. So that's my final thought. And he was giving it to the Boston fans in the middle of the celebration. Who didn't love to see that? <laughs> oh my God, that was incredible. God bless Dubinsky. The way that one guy in the hoodie like kind of recoils for a second. Because that's the last thing you would expect. My guy. Anyway, that will do it for us. Our theme music is Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. You can check them out at AngelaPurley.com. We are now on pretty much every podcast app available. Every podcast platform. So... Tell your friends about us, review us, uh, leave us comments, questions. Uh, we love your feedback, and thank you so much for listening. We're going to have playoff coverage for the Monsters and the Blue Jackets at jacketscannon.com. we got pregame previews, recaps, analysis, everything you want at jacketscannon.com. From all of us at the Cannon, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.
Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.